From the great American Pacific Northwest, greetings and welcome to the first 2021 edition of the Parachronicle Almanac. I'm Jonathan Hawk. Well, I hope you had a chance to celebrate the new year. We're still fairly locked down here in the Pacific Northwest, though not as much as other places, but still pretty locked down to the point of not having very many places to go or things to do. But we made the best of it, and I'm hopeful for this year. I, for one, am not anti-vaccine, and I'm primed and ready to be stabbed in the arm to get on with it. And it's okay for those of you who aren't pro-vaccine. Uh, I'm a believer in allowing individuals to make decisions for themselves, and so if you don't want the vaccine, don't get it. At the heart of it for me, though, is, is that I'd rather see the excuses for governments to lock down their citizens end this year, and particularly in democratized countries, and here in the U.S. specifically. While we cannot control the virus, it's egocentric of us puny little humans to think we can, we absolutely cannot allow it to snuff freedom. But anyway, I digress. I thought 2020 was going to be a transitional year to some extent, and I suppose it far exceeded my expectations in doing so, whichever way you look at last year. And while 2021 seems as though it's starting off like a bad TV spinoff, I'm, I'm still hopeful, and I hope you have some hope too. Now, a couple of quick notes before we jump in this week. Uh, we'll be looking to revamp the Parachronicle website later this year with the idea of incorporating the site into the show and vice versa. So I'll keep you updated there over the coming months. And we'll soon have Patreon set up in hopes of supporting this program and to develop more interesting content in the future. So also stay tuned there. And of course, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little show and help us grow, if you wouldn't mind. And we're still looking for stories from you, particularly strange trucker stories, paranormal or otherwise. So give us a call on the Parachronicle hotline at 818 570 0126 if you'd like your story featured on a future episode. That's 8185700126. Save it in your contacts because you never know when you may need it. And I'm going to keep telling you that. Or you can always email me at hawk at theparachronicle.com. That's H-A-W-K-E at theparachronicle.com. And with that, let's dive in. Our top story this week comes to us from Hawaii, where a fairly significant UFO sighting occurred. This courtesy of USA Today and a plethora of other media outlets are covering this. Last week on December 29th at roughly 8.30 p.m., eyewitnesses on the Hawaiian island of Oahu spotted a UFO in the night sky, prompting several 911 calls. The UFO had a glowing blue color and an oblong shape, witnesses said. As reported by Hawaii News Now, the UFO, which was caught on video, was described by one onlooker as being larger than a telephone pole. I guess depending on where you are perspective-wise, that could be big or small. It sailed across the sky for several miles before crashing into the ocean, witnesses said. Honolulu police reported the UFO sightings to the Federal Aviation Administration. Quote, law enforcement contacted the FAA the night of Tuesday, December 29th, about a witness report of a possible plane down in that area. FAA spokesperson Ian Greger told USA Today, we followed up on the report but had no aircraft disappear off radars, and we had no reports of overdue or missing aircraft, he said. Some internet sleuths said that the floating blue object bears resemblance to an LED light kit. 
But overall, it was just another strange incident to wrap up a strange year. And a bird watcher discovers $1 million worth of ancient Celtic coins. This from the New York Post. Christmas came in September for one British birder who stumbled upon a million dollar cache of ancient Celtic coins while tracking a, quote, dogfight in the English countryside. The gold medallions, almost mistaken for an old machinery part, date back over 2,000 years to the age when the fierce Celtic queen Boudica, and I hope I got that right, was at war with Rome, according to appraisers who estimate the prize to be worth 845,000 pounds, or roughly $1.1 million. It's a life-changing sum for the lucky finder, reportedly in his 50s, who chose to remain anonymous in a recent interview with Treasure Hunting Magazine. Well, that evening I was doing a bit of bird watching, he said. After watching a dogfight between a buzzard and a pair of magpies, I stared down and spotted something lying in a bit of the deep plowed soil which ran around the edge of the field. He nearly passed it, thinking the metal chip was an old washer. Then he rubbed it and felt its thickness. I saw the glint of gold, and I realized it was a beautiful Celtic gold stator, which made me sit down in sheer shock, he said. I then spotted the second coin only two feet away and rushed home to get my metal detector. And it worked. It gave him a really strong signal that more was just below the surface. Well, after about 18 inches of digging, he unearthed a copper bangle, likely the handle of a pitcher of gold coins. Gently, he lifted the vessel and out came a cascade of gold. Quote, a vision which will remain with me for the rest of my life, he recalled, and how could you blame him? I had to sit down to get my breath back. I, I had only come out for a walk and found a Celtic hoard. As if written for a film, a nearby dog walker passed the man and yelled jokingly, You found gold yet? If only you knew, he thought. If only you knew. Well, the man said he prayed his two shopping bags stuffed with 1,300 gold coins each worth up to $880, would hold up on the walk home. He then notified the local coroner's office, which oversees protocol in accordance with the UK's Treasure Act of 1996, including the decision of who gets to keep the coinage, the finder, the landowner, or a local museum. Treasure Hunting's editor Julian Evans Hart said in a statement, the coins form a substantial, if not enormous contributions to our academic numismatic knowledge and will undoubtedly be subject to much assessment over the coming year. It is possible that they may form a deposit as a war chest for Boudica's eastern campaigns, he continued. The previous record was 850 and that was the Wickham Market Hoard found in 2008. At this stage, it seems highly likely that the discovery might well knock that find off the top spot. What an incredible find. And this from the Gazette in Colorado, Bigfoot Report describes odd encounter in Colorado's Summit County. During the summer of 2019, a daytime hiker was taking a break near an old log cabin in the area of Mayflower Gulch near Frisco when he spotted something odd at about 11,000 feet of elevation. He reports seeing a large bipedal creature attempting and failing to climb a 20-foot high snow wall. After the failed attempt at scaling the barrier, the creature moved on and out of sight. The hiker was joined by two others to conduct a search of the area. 
Well, during this search, the group was able to locate prints in the snow, including large handprints and footprints, which were photographed. That being said, they were unable to again locate the actual creature. The reported run-in with the mysterious creature, along with the photographic evidence of the prints, was enough to prompt BFRO investigator Scott Miles to further look into the report. Miles decided to meet up with the witness at the site of the spotting with a second investigator, Scott Walter. At the scene, the witness was able to recount the sighting in a manner consistent with the initial report, pointing out exact landmarks involved in his story. After deep analysis of the witness account, investigator Scott Miles wrote, I believe that he, the witness, saw exactly what he reported and was a witness to a Sasquatch, probably uh, a young individual that accidentally, or perhaps naively, got caught in a compromising situation in the daytime in a fairly high traffic area. This sighting is considered to be a Class A sighting, meaning that misinterpretation or misidentification of a sighting can be ruled out with greater confidence compared to other sightings that may occur in the dark or have obscured settings. Summit County is no stranger to Bigfoot sightings, with multiple sightings in the area having been reported in the past. One notable local finding was covered by Summit Daily in 2003, sparked by the discovery of a mysterious footprint near Buffalo Mountain. Well, this is a grim story coming to us from WSCO in North Carolina. A group looking for a haunted house in South Carolina discovers body in a freezer. Authorities say the abandoned South Carolina home where a group of people found a body stuffed in a deep freezer has burned down two days after the gruesome discovery. Orangeburg County firefighters say the early Tuesday blaze at the home in Norway is considered suspicious, but a cause has not been determined yet. Deputies say eight adults out riding four-wheelers Sunday decided to explore the abandoned home after hearing it was haunted. Investigators say the group smelled a horrible odor and found a body in the freezer. The coroner's office says the body was badly decomposed and the identity, or even the sex and cause of death, has not been determined. The agency says the group spotted the freezer on the back porch and an 18-year-old man opened it to find what he thought was a body. And he was right, it was a decomposing body. Deputies determined the remains were human and identity and cause of death haven't been given pending an autopsy, and officials say the property owner is cooperating. So if the house wasn't haunted before, well, you know. Now, every week, or every other week, or every few weeks, I don't know what the cadence is going to be, but I want to look back into the paranormal vault, so to speak, and find stories from yesteryear of strange occurrences, UFO sightings, hauntings. And so this one's a ye old UFO story. Well, maybe it's not that old. It comes to us from Fargo, North Dakota, back in the 1940s. From the Jamestown Sun, Fargo's most famous UFO sighting was in the skies above a 1948 Bison Augustana football game. It's almost as though Fargo Forum sports editor Eugene Fitzgerald had a tiny crystal ball sitting beside his typewriter in the smoke-filled newsroom that day in the fall of 1948 when he wrote his headline for October 1st, Aerial Display Likely in Bison Augustana Game Tonight. Of course, in this case, aerial display referred to Fitzgerald's prediction that the game would feature more passing than rushing. 
Well, North Dakota State University won that night, 14-6, hardly a show of aerial dominance. Nonetheless, Fitzgerald's headline turned out to be strangely prophetic, as there was a pretty spectacular aerial display in the sky that night. It became the subject of a U.S. government investigation, the files of which have only recently been declassified and open for the public to see. It's come to be known as the Gorman Dogfight and is one of the most well-known 20th century UFO stories. It's also one of the most credible, considering the man who claimed to see the flying saucer was an accomplished World War II pilot, and at least three other witnesses were also experienced aviators. For years, reports of what happened that night came from the eyewitnesses and Gorman himself. But now that the files have been declassified, more details have emerged. The incident was featured on a History Channel show called Project Blue Book in 2019. Before we get too deep into the story, who was George Gorman? Well, according to columnist Kurt Erickson, who wrote about Gorman in 2011, Gorman was born July 7, 1923, to Norbert and Roberta Gorman. He grew up in Fargo, where his father was a Cass County agent. During World War II, Gorman became a B-25 instructor for French aviation students. When the war was over, he returned to Fargo and was employed as the manager of a construction company. When the North Dakota Air National Guard formed at Fargo's Hector Airport on January 16, 1947, Gorman joined the squadron as a second lieutenant. So what exactly happened on October 1, 1948? Well, Gorman was flying his P-51 Mustang with other Guard pilots in the early evening hours of October 1, 1948. Part of their flight path was over the old Dakota field where the North Dakota Agricultural College Bison football team played its games. According to North Dakota State University Assistant Athletic Director Ryan Perot, the field was slightly south of the current Dakota Field. Dakota Field at that time was located adjacent to Churchill Hall in the center of campus where the Memorial Union and A. Glen Hill Center now sit, Perot said. He said kickoff was at about 8 p.m. that Friday night. About a half hour later, most of the pilots flying decided to call it a night, but Gorman wanted to get in more flying time. According to a story in the Fargo Forum dated October 3rd, 1948, Gorman was flying near Hector Field, about two and a half miles from the football field, when an air traffic controller told him about a small Piper Cub in the area. He acknowledged the smaller plane about 500 feet below, but a few minutes later, he spotted something else. He said it was a flying disc that was round with well-defined edges brilliantly lit and circling slowly over the city. He asked the tower about the object, and they said they only saw Gorman's plane in the Piper Cub. This object was not showing up on radar. Gorman decided to investigate, but as he got closer to the object, it suddenly got brighter and shot away from him. He estimated it was flying around 250 miles per hour, but accelerated to 600 miles an hour. Gorman's plane could only fly about 400 miles an hour, so he lost the object, but it came back and flew right at him. When the object was coming head-on, I held my plane pointed right at it, Gorman said. The object came so close that I involuntarily ducked my head because I thought a crash was inevitable. But the object zoomed over my head. The quote-unquote dogfight lasted 27 minutes, a lifetime for a UFO encounter. The declassified documents include a diagram Gorman drew of what went on in the air that night. In the History Channel's Project Blue Book, UFO historian Richard Dolan said the detailed drawings tell us tell us a lot. It shows you've got an experienced seasoned World War II pilot who is dealing with a light phenomenon that is clearly outperforming his aircraft, he said. 
Gorman said he was so shaken after the incident that he had trouble landing the plane. He told the Fargo Forum leader, it was the weirdest experience I've ever had in my life. After Gorman told his commanding officer what happened, the incident was referred to Air Force Intelligence. Investigators arrived in Fargo on October 4th and interviewed the two air traffic controllers in the tower that night, as well as the pilot of the Piper Cub, a local physician. All of them corroborated Gorman's account. Gorman wrote in a sworn statement that he was convinced that there was definitive thought behind the object's maneuvers and that the aircraft could go faster, turn tighter, and climb steeper than his aircraft. Despite what seems to be evidence to the contrary, the Air Force concluded the object was a combination of looking at the planet Jupiter and a weather balloon. According to Ericsman, Gorman insisted it wasn't a weather balloon, but the Air Material Command warned him not to divulge any further information or he would be subject to a court-martial. That might be one reason why Gorman stayed pretty quiet throughout the rest of his military career, which took him to bases in Italy and throughout the U.S. He retired as a lieutenant colonel and died from pancreatic cancer in Texas in the early 1980s at the age of 59. According to reports, most of the dogfight action would have been happening before halftime, just north of the field. The National Centers for Environmental Information says visibility in Fargo that evening was 13.1 miles, and there was no record of precipitation, so football fans wouldn't have been obstructed by clouds, snow, or rain. If what they saw is what is often reported from UFO sightings from the same distance away, the fans might have seen flashes of light, not unlike heat lightning. They also might have heard the sounds of Gorman's plane and the object. We're saying might because at this point, Forum News Services hasn't been able to track down any fans or players who were there that night. Whatever it was, it might have brought some positive karma to the Bison. That modest 14-6 victory over Augustana that night ended a nine-game losing streak and was the first victory at home in almost two years. Unfortunately, the good karma didn't last. The Bison ended the year 3-7 and seven and didn't win any games the next year either. Now, even if more witnesses were to come forward from the football game or elsewhere, it's not likely any kind of official report would be changed. However, for what it's worth, an astronomer contracted by the Air Force to study the Gorman incident took Gorman's side that this was not a weather balloon, something his son backs up in the Project Blue Book television show and to this day. And I have to ask, what's the deal with the late 1940s and weather balloons? What's up with that? Well, that's it. That's all I've got for this week. But don't forget to reach out if you see something unusual in the sky or someplace else, or if you have an interesting story to tell. You can call our hotline at 818-570-0126 or find us at www.theparachronicle.com. And don't forget to share, like, or follow our podcast or follow us on social media. So until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and know that here on Earth and in the universe, we are not alone. For the Parachronicle Almanac, I'm Jonathan Hawk.